Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reconciled Life Podcast. I am your host, Holly Brown. And I'm your other host, Aaron Brown. And this season, we are looking at the idea of racial reconciliation through the lens of representation. And today, we have special guests. I know we say our guests are special all the time, but today, they are extra special. Or maybe I should just say we have a different relationship a different special relationship to this <laughs> to these guests. Today we are interviewing my parents, Paul Brown Jr. Uh, and Marsha Brown. Uh, yes, my parents. Or Pop Pop and Mimi. Yes, or... only to our children. It'd be weird if other people walked up to them. Yeah, they might just roll with it. Maybe my mom would. Yeah. She's everybody's mom. Uh, <laughs> So today we're talking a little bit about their lives and it occurred to me that, you know, you feel like you know these people uh, and I guess maybe now that we're parents, we recognize that our parents have had lives before we entered into them, What? It, which is, I'm, sh- you know, the arrogance of children. Uh, and so <laughs> as our parents look at us, or as our kids look at us and think we do nothing, we're like, no, you stop us from doing things. We used to be cool. We, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say we still are, but let's be real. In <laughs> uh, that same way, uh, it was great to uh, talk to my parents and hear about their lives and laugh and think deeply about some of their experiences and knowing that they grew up in a different world. We talk about my mom being a first black teacher in a school, my father being growing up in the projects and being bust when integration became legal uh, and the he process. He was one of five. I think, yeah, one of one five. One of five to be uh, integrated. And his experience with that. And so there was a lot of stories and it wisdom. It is fascinating. Yeah. It really is. Uh, and truly, for me, amazing that they're so kind. Yeah. After things they've seen and yeah. experienced. And so um, we're going to get to learn from them. Uh, it was a lot. And so we have decided to divide it up into two weeks. So uh, no one is overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> and so this week, uh, please enjoy meeting Paul and Marsha Brown. And come back next week for part two. So let's get to it. Today, our <laughs> guest, this is, this is fun. I we haven't really got to do live interviews. I know. In it's a, a little while. weird. I'm a little nervous. Uh, to talk to... <laughs> Not because it's my in-laws. Yeah. It's just talking <laughs> to our family. So, Paul and Marsha Brown, I go way, way back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way, way back. Y'all have known me my entire life. Yeah. Uh, would y'all like to say Hello. Hello, I am Marsha. Hello, and I'm Paul. Well, we're going to dive right in and ask y'all some questions, uh, which will be fun just for posterity that will have the answer to these questions, which I find interesting. So the first thing is you all are my parents and now grandparents, which means you were alive at certain times we don't have to give that your the ex- rest of us were not you want to give exact <laughs> ages but you were alive during the tumultuous 60s uh and so just curious uh what was that like well for me it was a time of growing up uh it was a time for family i grew up in the projects so we was pretty close-knit family and uh, 
So we would have picnics and parties on the weekends, and and uh, it was just a fun time of uh, just fellowshipping with each other. But it was also a time of chaos because it was during the civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a time of fear and and wondering about the future at the same time. But uh, the family background was what strengthened me, you know. And where so, was, where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. I knew the answer to that. <laughs> I'm sure you we've, did. We've been there several times. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Mom? Well, first of all, I don't know why you think I was born in the 60s. <laughs> in the 60s. But I will answer your question just to entertain the thought. Uh, I grew up as an only child. I grew up in West Virginia in small town. Therefore, we were close-knit, and it was a black community. Predominantly, I started school in a black school, elementary, and so forth. Family was very, very close-knit. My grandmother lived with us at the time, which meant that everybody in the family always would come and visit grandma. Mm -hmm. So we never knew who was just going to walk in the door and they're coming to visit, mm -hmm. which was great. However, uh, like I said, I was an only child, so a little bit spoiled, not much. <laughs> we can't imagine that. Yeah. Uh, not much, but in the South, but not really in the South, because really we saw the race, civil rights movement, so forth on television, but there was no march, marches in uh, my town. Uh, and most of the people didn't leave to go to the march in D.C. and so forth. So, but, you know, we still had the feeling and watched it on TV and uh, wished for success for it and so forth. But... I still can remember uh, when we would go to the movies and uh, there was the colored only where we would have to go upstairs and uh, we couldn't go into it. And I could remember if you went to the five and dime store, if you had to go to the restroom, you had to pay the 10 cents to get in the restroom, which was not clean. And you could only go into the one that said colored and the colored water fountain and so forth and so finally I was like from the sixth grade I was still going to the all-black school right above my parents home and then one of my friends said oh we're going over to the other school we're going over to the white school and so I said, well I'm going to <laughs> so we got on the bus and uh, we integrated that school because we yeah. just started grade? seventh grade. Wow. We started seventh grade, junior that. high. We went over there and they didn't kick us out. Was it just you and your friend? Or um, were there more students who went? Well, the high school was, was seven through 12. Okay. And well, the kids that went to high school 
all races went to the high school. Okay. But we did not go over there until the ninth grade, but we oh, went seventh, seventh and eighth. Mm. Yes. Oh. And so, but they didn't kick us out. And um, what was that like? It wasn't bad. It really, really wasn't because it's a small town. Okay. And everybody knows everybody else's parents and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, so we really didn't have, and we were fortunate that we didn't. Yeah. Uh, I can remember that, uh, in, especially after the time I got in the ninth grade, that uh, we would be in class and so forth. And, I mean, the white kids would ask me questions, and I'd ask them questions. We'd both be sitting up there trying to figure out the answers together. <laughs> But I, the one thing that, one of the one things that I really remember is that they would not put me in the National Honor Society because of, they said, I missed it by a tenth of a point. Hmm. But when I graduated, I was an honor graduate. Wow. So I was like, how in the yeah. world if I'm an honor graduate, top 10% of the class, Yeah but you wouldn't put me in the National Honor Society. So there was still yeah. little things that yeah. happened that went on like that. Now, Dad, you were integrated into high school. Can you talk about, because you were more in the South. South. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Because you did in ninth grade? Yeah, uh, I went to an all-black junior high and uh, one day, the principal came down and said, you know, we're going to integrate. They, they want to integrate uh, the schools in uh, where uh, the city I was living in. And he said, would you be interested? Because they had nominated like eight kids or so to, to go and integrate. And uh, I was... Like, wait a minute, I'm really not sure why y'all picked me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I really wanted to go through all that. Yeah. So uh, they said, well, you know, go ahead and go through the process and take your parents. So my dad went with me and uh, for the interview. They had to interview you before you. The white school did? They, yeah, the white school. Uh, so I was all nervous sitting up there and the principal comes in and my dad, you know, answers some questions about our family and, and then he looked at me and said, um, um, you know, if you do anything wrong over the next four years, we're gonna kick you out of school. I remember that like yesterday. Crazy. I'm like, I just, I haven't even really entered school yet, and you yeah. ready? You talking about kicking me out? Yeah. So uh, it was like uh, in the class I was in. I think it was like five black guys and one female. And um, wow. So. We uh, we played football, but you know, we we uh, we had a drive to the practice and back, and then going to school, I had to catch a bus and get to mm-hmm. school, and 
that was an experience too because we would get on the bus. I had to get up about five o'clock in the morning to get to school by eight o'clock. Oh wow! Because of the bus, I had to go across the other side of town. Wow! And uh, for four years, or I guess so you could drive. You did that. Yeah, until we could. Well, I never owned a car, but one of the guys that one Mm -hmm. of the black students that went, his parents got him a car, so we carpooled. Okay. So when I was on the bus, we were on the bus for those two years before he got a car. They would come to uh, the white neighborhood, and we would sit up there, and the kids would get on the bus, and no one would sit next to us. Wow. So you caught a city bus. Yeah, we caught the white neighborhood. Right. To then catch a school, school bus. School bus. Where no one was wow. Yeah, where no one was. And then one of the other experience that I remember was, as a matter of fact, I talked to a colleague that one of the guys I went to high school with. We played football. So we thought we, you know, we're all pretty friendly with some of the white students. And so we had physical education after football season. And uh, so this session was social dancing. And uh, so we were sitting up there we really, I didn't want to do something. <laughs> <laughs> that just was not me. But anyway, we was there, and the football coach came in and said, y'all don't want to do social dancing, so y'all go out there with the seniors and play softball. Well, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good <laughs> to me, because I wasn't, but come to find out, one of the young ladies, the class before, some of the parents complained they didn't oh, want wow. us dancing with their daughters. Their daughters. Wow. So we had to go out there with the seniors and play softball. Wow. So uh, those was some of the highlights that I remember. Uh, but there were also times when some of the uh, uh, white students, we got along with pretty good. Uh, but you can tell you, it only went so far. Because mm-hmm. like in the cafeteria, we all sat together at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, all mm-hmm. the black students. And no one would sit even close to us. We sat at our own little table. But away from that, once you know, once in a while, you could have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember one time I asked you about this, and you said like you just didn't really have positive memories of high school. Like it wasn't a not that there weren't good times, but you don't look back on it like people do, where they're like, oh wow, high school is like such a fun time. And yeah, I, I don't want to sound prudent, but it was terrible to me. <laughs> because, you know, I the kids I grew up with was talking about how they had good times. And, yeah. and I felt like being under that pressure all the time of trying to do well in school, which everybody is under that pressure. But if I did something 
uh, or got in an argument or something like that, you're going to get kicked out of school. That yeah. was always hanging over our heads. Did the whole class make it? Yeah. That sounds the, uh, the positive was all of us graduated from the high school. Wow. It was huge. So that was a positive. Did y'all have to be your own support system? Like yeah, that was from... that was what got us through. Like I said, one of the guys that went to school got a car, mm -hmm. so we were able to carpool. Uh, another guy I played baseball with, so uh, we were able to, we didn't go out a lot because, you know, after football games, the white kids, they, oh, we're going to steak shack. But we couldn't go. We ended up at McDonald's. <laughs> so we was jumping in my friend's car and we'd drive to McDonald's, but we were just as happy, you know. But uh, those were some of the good thoughts that the, the camaraderie between us and that we all got to, we all got to graduate. One of the guys are grew up with, ended up being, got his PhD degree. One went to the Coast Guard Academy. Uh, I got to go to engineering school. And I think the other two end up going to a technical school. Oh, wow. You know, local. Yeah. It's interesting that y'all both, when you both talked about the 60s, you talked about your family. Because looking back on it, People always talk about the 60s and how chaotic it was. Yeah. And we forget that people still had lives in it and mm -hmm. families. And that wasn't totally what marked your whole view of the 60s. You know, it was right. like you were growing up. And so, like everybody's growing up, there's more to yeah. it. I, I do question, especially like maybe mom more so than dad or both. Like when you grow up in the segregated areas, like was it normal? Mm -hmm. Or do you look at things and go, this is unfair, and just go with it? Like, how did, just because that's such, like, now, obviously, people go ballistic when they see segregated things like that. But when it's everywhere, yeah. were you resigned to the fact and hoped that it would just change? Or some days you're angry about it, some days you're like, whatever? We were not angry about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, next door was... People we played with, we went to church with them, and so forth, and no, we were not. But, on the other hand, because we were segregated in that sense, but you still had folks that, especially your parents knew, that were white and would talk to them. Because my father talked to everybody in town. <laughs> so, uh, it was not a thing for him at all. But like I said earlier, my grandmother lived with us and she was born in 18, I forgot exactly when, 18 something, but she literally was afraid of white people. Mm. Like if a white man would knock on our door because he was coming to see daddy about buying some property from him or something like that, she, she, she was literally scared. Wow. literally scared because of that fact because she grew up in an age when you really didn't yeah. mix yeah. and that type of thing whereas with my father yeah yeah come on come on in do this and so forth so um 
but you know we back then too the black church was the hub of the community mm-hmm. that uh everything centered around it and it was just the big thing we all went to sunday school whether you want to or not they they <laughs> yeah. sent you to Sunday school because we could walk to the church and you just see a whole line everybody coming so you start seeing them come so you just come on out and start walking with them because you're going to church you're going to Sunday school you're going to choir practice or things like that so uh, but my experience probably was a lot different because my parents still stayed in the same house until they all died you know, so it was yeah. still in that community, yeah. but it was starting, it slowly after Paul and I got married and so forth, it started being integrated okay. more so. So you can even see that progression as you would go back and yeah. visit. Yeah, now I would. Yeah. Because I grew up where the white water rafting mm. is. Mm. And so that was getting to be such a big business and people buying property and so forth so that they could rent to uh, like an Airbnb because you're coming in to do the white water rafting so they buy homes and so forth and a lot of people were building their new homes there too so you were seeing Mm. you know more and more integration and then the further you went up the road though then it was starting to be the white families too Mm. so but now with Paul, his family moved into a white neighborhood before you got out of school. Yeah, I was raised in the projects. And then my dad came home and said, let's pack up, we moving. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we moved out the projects, which was probably the best thing that happened to us because the projects was slowly deteriorating in terms of crime and everything. So we moved out and my dad uh, got this house into an all white neighborhood. This couple wow. wanted to get out because they saw more and more blacks start to move in, wow. in that neighborhood. So they, so my dad bought the house. And slowly when I was growing up through high school, you can see the neighborhood integrating more. Hmm. You know, so that was a good positive. But as far as how things progressed, it was a slow progression. Like the example Marsha gave about the restaurants, I can remember they wouldn't serve you. Hmm. You had to go in the back, in uh, the water fountain, the bathroom. And then slowly, like when I went to high school, they start integrating. So we, you know, mm-hmm. from there, uh, things start opening up. I remember times when, like, the beaches, you couldn't even go out there. They only had certain sections. Wow. In where, Florida. In Florida. That's crazy. Where you could go out on the beach. So it was a pain, a good period and a painful period because, uh, there was a lot of marches going on, a lot of uh, burning of buildings. Uh, so Did that happen in St. Petersburg? Yeah, yeah, that happened. I remember, I remember going to a junior high dance or something. Um, it was about to close down, and then we hear all this 
shooting or something going on. We didn't know what it was. So we all ran. We were, I ran from that junior high, which was like 30 minutes away, all the way back to the projects at the time. And that seemed like I got there pretty quick. <laughs> like 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> but as soon as we, it was like five of us. I don't know why every time I miss something, there's always five people. But anyway, we were walking down the alley. We had moved out the project, but we thought being in the project was safe at that time. And then we saw these police cars come down. And we were like, what are they, why are they coming after us? We ain't doing anything. We just ran from where the action was. And uh, they didn't want to hear nothing we had to say. Oh, wow. They uh, handcuffed us. Uh, one guy, they handcuffed and threw him on the ground. One of my one of the guys was my cousin. He ran home and told my parents they arrested them, so they took us down and the uh, put us in the holding cell. So finally, my mom and dad. My dad was furious. He thought we really had done something. My mom said, "Don't get angry with them until we find out what happened." And uh, so the guy that was walking ahead of us, they booked him because they thought he was the leader of what happened. Oh, wow. But finally they let us go. Wow. And uh, so that was not a good experience because we knew we hadn't done anything, but just because yeah. we were in the neighborhood. Y'all were in junior high at that point? Yeah, we were in junior wow. high. So, so young. Yeah. And that, that leaves a mark on you, on you yeah. mentally because... You know, every time you see a police, when you're that young, you think, oh, wow, you know, yeah. what, why are they coming after me? I hadn't done anything. Mm -hmm. And then you don't know yeah. what they're going to do. Yeah. So as far as progression, uh, it's happy. I'm happy to see it slowly, slowly. We still have a way to go when I go home, but it's a lot better than what it was, mm -hmm. you know, when I was growing up. Well, Marcia, I know, I feel like it's been somewhat recently, you've entertained me with stories of teaching. <laughs> uh, for those listening, Marcia retired from teaching after how many years? Uh, total In that of one, total 40. 40. Okay, yeah. Total of 40. So, many years of experience. But I was really, I found it so interesting to hear your early stories, because you were the only black teacher, right, at at least one of the schools you taught yes. in. So could you, because this season we're also talking about the impact of even representation. Um, and so I had thought of some of those stories that you had shared with me. And do you want to share any of what came to mind and what, even what that was like being the only black teacher? But you had black students at that school? or We had one. One. Well, one black family that they had other siblings. But I think at the time there was only one of the students was at the high school, because wow. I was at the high school. Well, first let me tell you about my experience of trying to find a job. Oh, yeah. The first, oh. <laughs> the first school that I went to interview was 
who we drove and drove and drove, and then it's like we were going back in the 30s. It was a little town in Ohio. Little town in Ohio, and then it was a little old man, and uh, (laughs) I could tell already that he was not ready for a black teacher. Mm. And he was just not ready, and it was like, I knew that I was not ready for him as well. So um, when we left from there, it's like, I knew I didn't get the job, but yeah. that was fine. That, that was okay. So I came back home to West Virginia, because this, like I said, was in Ohio, and then I got a call from another school, uh, which was uh, in Richmond Dale, Ohio, and I went for the interview, and uh, they hired me. And uh, this is the school where I was their first black teacher. Okay. I was the first black teacher, and Richmond Dale is like farm country. Uh, mm-hmm. Kids that live on the farm and so forth. But I can truly say that out of all my classes that I have taught over 40 years, they were some of the best kids. Hmm. And, and they treated me like wonderfully. I mean, uh, I had the principal's daughter in my class and so forth, and they did birthday parties for me, mm. and they did, and they were just great. Yeah. And, and, and we got along well, and I only taught there for a year, and then I transferred to brand new vocational school, and which was wonderful because it was only in half operation, so I only worked about a half a day, and everything was new, everything in the school, everything you touched was brand new out the box. <laughs> so it was, it was wonderful. But when my birthday came around, they had contacted the kids from the other school, had contacted Paul. They came to our apartment wow. and gave me a surprise birthday party. The kids at Richmond? Yes, in Richmond. Wow. wow. So, I mean, it was wonderful. It was wonderful so kids. Sweet. And so forth, because normally, you know, especially in high school, they forget all about you real quick. <laughs> but you know, to think about me and remember that it was my birthday, yeah, and they come to my house and give me a party. Wow! So they they were wonderful. Um, I did not have any race problems mm-hmm. with them or anyone at that school. That's amazing. Yeah, it it was great. It's good to remember that while. Some people were resisting. It's not necessarily indicative of how the whole world. Right. Yeah. It wasn't every situation. Yeah. Right. There yeah. were some people that were welcoming yeah. and kind. And uh, even I would think in places you don't always think as like a farm right. country. No. Yeah. Being mm-hmm. yeah. open and welcoming. Could you, I know we've talked about it even with where you taught in Texas. Just share a little bit of your perspective of being a black teacher with your black students and the impact of them having someone. So I feel like in the, you have talked about like, you found out a lot of secrets and hardships and. And and we did, but the black students identified with you. 
especially if you are kind to them and they know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had kids that, I still have students today, my students, that I can run across and they'll say, Miss Brown, and so that sweet. they remember me and so forth. And uh, But I would take students on outside, talk to them, try to counsel them and so forth. and try to get them straight, try to keep them on the right path. And um, I've had students say, yeah, I, I, I can t- type because of you and <laughs> I can do this because of you. And uh, I can say that I truly did enjoy teaching. Mm. And, and But I just didn't just talk to the black child that was right. in trouble. Mm-hmm. It was all the students. I didn't yeah. look there and say, okay, I'm only gonna see black, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, I see them all, and yeah. um, had a wonderful time with yeah. all races, yeah. all kids, and so forth. So that was good. Did you, would you say that by doing that, it led to a more, what we would say now say inclusive classroom? Because I remember going, like, back. this is back in the day where, like, kids would give you, like, their senior photos, like, mm-hmm. when they graduate, and you had such a diverse collection on yeah. the wall. Like, it was Asian students and black students and white students mm-hmm. and Hispanic students. Would you say that was that all sort of students of color resonated with you because of the representation? Or is that just something all teachers can do if they're willing to show they care? I think if they show they care, they can. But you have certain students that will identify you with you simply because mm-hmm. of who you are. And, organically. Yeah, they, they're going to do that. Because they see themselves reflected. Right. And you know for yourself, like Eliza said, where somebody looks like me. Yeah, yep. And so even though they don't say it, but that when you walk in the room and you see somebody that looks like you, that makes mm-hmm. you feel better. Yeah. yeah. And when you walk in the room and everybody that you see in seven classes does not look like you, yeah. that's, you know, that's already putting up a little barrier. But yeah. then if you show them that they care, uh, you know, you, you, it's okay. Yeah. But if they don't, they will come to you and they will come and see you. And they will come when they're supposed to be in somebody else's class. <laughs> <they're trying> to <laughs> <talk to> you. <laughs> um, if you show them that you care, that makes a big thing. But like I said, still the representation, yeah. Yeah. Did you find yourself being a lot of times students first black teacher? Not where I taught. Not where you taught. No, okay. because they did have a black school okay. for, you know, before they integrated and and I can say that uh, my school district did hire minorities. That's great. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And uh, and they tried to do that in representation far as assistant principals and Oh, so great. forth. So uh, that was a good yeah. thing. Which is another good reminder. Like, there are districts doing good things. You know, yeah. like, we, yeah. there are good people out there we and good teachers. Yeah. yeah, we hear yeah. about the bad, yeah. but there's good teachers of all races trying to show they care and yeah. make inroads. And, and, and that's what I used to say all the time. We would have something that is positive to say, well, where's the TV cameras now? 
yeah. when you see these kids doing the club activities and so forth, and they're competing and they're using their academic skills. You know, we're going to show the sports skills, but the academic skills, yeah. where are the cameras and so forth that these kids are taking Saturdays out mm -hmm. of their lifetime to come in and try to compete and yeah. do things like that because there are, yeah. It's a lot of good things that happen in school, but, you know, we focus on the bad. But yeah. there's a whole lot of good things that happens in schools yeah. and public schools. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Reconciled Life podcast. I know you enjoyed hearing from Paul and Marcia as much as I did and the wisdom that they share and just their life experience. Don't forget to come back next week for the second part of our interview with them. It also will just be so thought-provoking and encouraging and challenging all at the same time. Don't forget, today is a great day to be a little better and do a little more. And one way you can do that is by subscribing to our podcast. Bye!